Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and we are so honored to have Kenda Lawson with us today. She says that her life is a testament to the saying that if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Kenda graduated from Xavier University in Louisiana with a bachelor's degree in literature and a minor in biology. She considered law school and medical school, but the call to teach was a strong pull throughout her life. She received an alternative teaching license and master's degree in educational leadership from the University of St. Thomas. Kenda was also inducted to the Kappa Data Phi International Honor Society in Education. Leadership is something to which Lawson never aspired. For nine years, she happily taught English as a second language, English language arts, and other classes. With some convincing, a school principal got her to step out of the classroom into roles as literacy coordinator and leadership team member. This is where Lawson began to build her reputation as a strategic thinker with the ability to design and execute intricate plans by converting them into actionable steps and strategies. Kenda now heads a social innovation firm that provides high-impact organizations with thought leadership campaigns, design thinking, and powerful learning experiences. In this interview, Kenda advocates for leadership as a verb to help organizations learn, grow, and innovate. You can connect with her at askowlsllc.com. So welcome, Kenda Lawson. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you, Lily, for having me this morning. Great. So we're so happy to have you on our podcast. And as you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. And we want to do that today by asking you key questions. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? Yes, I'm ready. Wonderful. So tell us a little bit about your path to leadership, Kenda. Well, I'm the second of seven girls, so you'd think I was born to it. Mm -hmm. But in reality, I came to leadership reluctantly. I had a lot of other people who I see as great leaders who I guess saw something in me. Mm -hmm. I remember I just graduated from high school. I had a math teacher, um, Miss Carpenter, Mm -hmm. who stopped me in the hall and told me that I was going to be a teacher one day. Just out of the blue like that? She did. Just she stopped me in the hallway. She did. Honestly, I was sort of I had just graduated and I was not ready to leave home, I guess. And Mm -hmm. I was just be walking the halls and visiting like a lot of people did. Mm -hmm. And she said you saw she stopped me in the hall and told me that she didn't want me back at the school until I had graduated from college. (laughs) (laughs) And she told me that I was going to be a teacher. And, you know, at the time. I was going to be pre-med. I was going to be microbiology pre-med. I wanted to study diseases. And yeah, I was going to be like a scientist. And she said, you know, you're going to be a teacher. And I didn't believe her. Mm -hmm. But, you know, a couple of years later, really, I found myself in when I looked at the total of my life, 
I realized that teaching really had been this calling and something that I really enjoyed and I knew I would love. That meant that when I stepped into the classroom, I was really content there. I was happy. And it took other administrators, Christy Curry in California and uh, Derek Dace in my last school, to really push me out of my comfort zone. It really was this process of me coming to the realization and discovery that I had a voice that was valuable, that by using it, I could expand my sphere of influence. Wow, that's a wonderful journey. Now, how would you describe your leadership style? Ooh, I am such a millennial. I mean, I would call it distributive, but it's really more like shared. And, and what I mean by that is that leadership is, is sort of distributed across um, everybody in our organization. You have your own company now, right? It's Owls LLC? It is, absolutely. We are a social innovation firm. We work with uh, different clients in different industries, uh, really for different reasons, mostly in education, but also in entrepreneurship and small businesses and that, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that at any given point, each person will lead. We use something similar in my home life, which is interesting because I also work with my husband. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> yes. Well, most days. <laughs> is he an educator? No, he, he comes to us from the business world. He was in the military and he was in banking. And I don't think he saw himself engaged in this kind of work either. It turns out he's really good at it. But what helped us in home and business actually ended up being this idea of what we call wheelhouses mm-hmm. that I know and I'm aware and I have to be self-reflective and honest, but I'm aware of what things my husband is better at. Mm. And I trust him and allow him to lead in those situations. And he actually does the same for me. And there's no sabotage because we're both on the same team. And so whether something works or not, we're both invested, you know, in the outcome. So exactly what is it that you do? I know that you work with different types of companies, but when you work with schools, what kind of systems do you put in place? So what is it that you do to help push their innovation forward? When I originally stepped out of the classroom, I was a subcontractor. I did some consulting work. Mm -hmm. And what that usually resulted in is sort of being paired with a teacher or mostly English or or history Mm -hmm. and really trying to figure out, you know, what was going wrong in the classroom, how they could improve. And was it like a coaching situation? Absolutely. absolutely. Mm -hmm. But what I found is that uh, my skill set and the things that I was interested in really were geared more towards system thinking. And so that it's great to work with one teacher or a group of teachers within a school, but it's even better. You see better results when you work on the school as a whole. And so what that involves is basically doing a root cause analysis, something that comes to us from the business world, but we should apply it in education. And so when Ever schools aren't meeting the goals that they set, we look at that as a deviation. And from that deviation, we move backwards to everything that contributes to that outcome, that student. Mm-hmm. And so in education, we have a tendency to really just have this sort of post hoc idea that teachers, because we're the closest in proximity to students, that it's the only thing that affects that outcome. Mm-hmm. But really, when we look at it as the system, we understand that there are other issues. And so after we've conducted a root cause analysis, and a lot of times that's in the form of an audit at a school, we come to the table, we bring ideas specifically tailored to that school about how they can improve. And then we work through the process with the administration and with the staff of professional development and whatever else needs to be done. I see how beautifully 
the work that you do and the work that your husband does synchronizes? Absolutely. You know, we really didn't anticipate this. I called him one day I was at school and this was, I think, odd to him for me because I was, you know, he knew I was very happy teaching. Mm -hmm. And I told him that I wanted to try consulting work. I really thought that that was something I could do. And, you know, surprisingly, he was on board for it. Wow. And he, he said, he said, okay, sure. And I think after the second year, we really started to see our two groups merge. We started to have different opportunities. There was a private military contractor group that was looking to have critical thinking for their soldiers. And that was the way that our experiences merged because he's former military and because of my experience in education. But there started to be all these other opportunities, even the idea that entrepreneurs needed coaching and training. And if you were starting a company, you may want to establish a certain culture. And so that takes professional development. And so really started to see these things merge. And yeah, I think that's a very millennial idea as well, is that there aren't these these clear boundaries of industries like people tend to think. Mm -hmm. And that there's a lot that we can learn from every industry and apply in others. Absolutely. Now, if our listeners wanted to reach you, what's some of the contact information you can give them? Well, this is one of my husband's wheelhouses where he's really good at it. And uh -huh. if you type in Owls LLC on whatever social media. So it's O-W-L-S-L-L-C. Absolutely. Now tell us, Kendra, which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why? Hmm. On our website, we list our core values. So a lot of people don't know that OWLS is actually an acronym and the L is for leadership. Mm -hmm. And so the one that speaks to me, it's John Adams. And he says that if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more and become more, you are a leader. Mm -hmm. Now, why does that inspire you? I'm a person who I wouldn't normally have uh, been a, a really good pick for any sort of leadership position. But everybody else thinks that, right? <laughs> and, and, but you know what? Everybody sees the product. You know, not, not a lot of people see the journey, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm really glad that you asked those sorts of questions. But the thing is, a lot of times in leadership, we sort of think of people who are great people, people. And, you know, they have these like booming voices and imposing figures. And I'm sort of this diminutive, like little like short lady. And I love people like at a deep level. I'm, you know, especially kids, but I'm in my head a lot and I'm quiet and I'm a thinker. And so that can translate different ways to different people. And so there's been this journey to being able to network and talk to people and that sort of thing. And so really that quote speaks to me because it means that I've always been a leader, even if I didn't see myself that way. And I think that you may have listeners who are sitting out there who maybe are unhappy with their situation, but they don't think that they're the person to change it. Mm -hmm. And that quote speaks to me. And I, I usually pass it on to other people because I would like everybody to know that you are a leader in some situation and organizations who cultivate that are the better off for it. So you mentioned that OWLS is an acronym for what? Our core values, um, optimism, wisdom, leadership, and strategy. I love that. And it's funny because as you were talking about yourself, I just pictured Mother Teresa. She was small in stature. 
Mm-hmm. and powerful in how she served others and how she loved others as you were describing who you were and how you can be powerful even if you don't have that booming voice even if you're not out there this whole path my whole life and I think I said it in the intro is you know has been a testament to the saying that if you want to make God laugh mm-hmm. <laughs> tell him the plans you know so it's I think everybody should you know just be open to opportunities and, right. and really understand that there is some problem problem in the world that you are the expert and you are the person that everybody's been waiting for to fix it. (laughs) Yeah, you just have to step up, right? Exactly. So what type of leader are you inspired by, Kenda, and why? I'm inspired by leaders who see leadership as a verb and not a noun. Mm-hmm. And it's so that it's something that you do and not necessarily just the position that you have. I'm a millennial. Mm-hmm. And so I believe heavily in not just distributive leadership, but more like shared. I mean, really the idea that leadership should be so broadly dispersed that at any given time, each different person in your organization should lead others. Mm-hmm. And so... There's also a quote, I forget who says it, one of us is not as good as all of us. Absolutely. I mean, it's really important that we understand the need for a team, a really good team. Mm -hmm. And I really am inspired by people who can lead even from quiet positions. Mm -hmm. I mean, these people exhibit what Stephen Covey calls like personal leadership. Mm -hmm. And then they expand their sphere of influence through public virtues. Now, speaking of team, what does it mean to have a good team and how would you build one? I think having a good team really means that you're uncomfortable because you get challenged consistently. Mm -hmm. I mean, I wouldn't say constantly just for the heck of it, but very consistently because you seek out diverse opinions, people who are going to think differently, even people who behave differently. At OWLS, when we have somebody who's interested in a position, we ask them to do something called the 16 personalities test. Um, But you can use others like the DISC assessment, which I'm kind of learning a lot more about now in this program that I'm involved in. But basically what we try to do is we try to figure out what's going to be the best fit, what we're missing on the team. Mm -hmm. And these personality assessments sort of explain not only what we can expect this person to bring to the table, but also, you know, how we can expect to deal with them and understand how to work with each other, what you need. It's really important as a leader to understand what the people in your organization need from you. And so a lot of our work with training in leadership has been expressing to other people from different generations really how to lead this generation of millennials, which is starting to be the biggest part of the workforce. Mm -hmm. And so in these assessments, what we find is like most people try to put answers that they have been conditioned to put, like everybody wants to be a people person, right? Mm -hmm. And so the problem with that is that, you know, if everybody in your organization are people people, Mm -hmm. then you find a lot of standing around and, you know, people, people like to engage with others. And so you need this balance, you know, otherwise no work would ever get done. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's true. Now tell us what's the best advice you've ever received? My uncle, Lee Johnson, would tell us all the time as children that people will pay you for what you know and punish you with what you don't. And that really speaks to my family situation. Like the matriarch of my family was an educator. She was somebody who rushed against the people who were leaving the South and going North. And she went South to teach. Mm -hmm. And it's always been a really big thing in my family that knowledge gives you the ability to advocate for yourself. And it gives you the freedom of choice. That's absolutely right. Kenda, tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life. You know, I don't think it's ever one challenge that really does shape your life. 
I think it's a collection of experiences that sort of together tell a story. I lost my parents at a young age. You know, I lived through her. Yes, both parents. My my father died when I was five. My mother died when I was 13. And um, it was a difficult thing, of course, to go through. Absolutely losing people who were very important. And even though I didn't have them for a long time, they were still very instrumental in my life. And it shaped who I was. I mean, I I lived through Hurricane Katrina. And that experience changed me fundamentally. Um, The way that I looked at the world, it was actually after Katrina where my path, I think, to a teacher sort of changed. And and I understood the power that each person has individually to affect change in the world. Within the last couple of years, I mean, I had a personal profound loss. I lost my son, Maximus. I say all of this to say that it's the totality of it that I think is important. When I teach plot to students in high school, I often have them do an activity where they create a line graph uh, to show the highs and lows of their lives. And they connect those dots, okay, those points that they plot, and in between tells the part of who they are. And so we examine the space in between, and there's a story, there's a trend, and your life is either trending the way you want it to or not. And so I need them to understand that if it's not trending the way you want, if this collection of experiences show that, you know, there's something always bad happen and and you don't have anybody in between to sort of pick you up and, and push you to keep going, or if you don't have it in you to push and keep going, then that's something that's only going to change if you really work on yourself. So again, to people on the outside, they never see the struggle. And so if I ever seem self-confident or self-assured at all, it's because... I know every challenge that I have faced and I'm armored with the knowledge of what I've been through. And so that if whatever challenge I face, I know that this won't break me because the other things didn't. I'm sorry to hear that, Kenda. And those experiences, though, also equip you to help other people. Uh, Absolutely. In in a profound way, in ways that not a lot of other people can. Yeah, it's important for people to hear that the people standing in front of you, the people who are successful, people in leadership positions, they weren't just born to it. It's Mm -hmm. not something that you're necessarily feel like you're destined to do Mm -hmm. um, at any given time. Most of us, we sort of look and our, our students and they sort of look at the situation around them. And so that's the thing that sort of makes you a leader or allows you to become a leader is vision. Vision is the ability to look at whatever is around you and see something different, to see new things in old spaces. Well, Kenda, thank you for sharing that. Can you tell us about one of your greatest successes and how it has shaped your life and the lives of those around you? I really would say that, you know, teaching was my greatest success and it led to the position that I'm in now with the company, but it also shaped and defined my high school years as well. Mm -hmm. And so my greatest success has been working with students. And I always tell educators that I work with that the thing about teaching and we could say whatever we want to about pay and the conditions is that it's the only job I can think of where you get to see the sum total of your legacy every day. Mm, That's right. Every day. And so I knew that I would be passionate about teaching. I I knew I would be good at it. Mm -hmm. And I I looked at it as a way to serve when it became apparent that my military career wasn't going to work out. Mm -hmm. And um, Mm -hmm. But I didn't realize how much I was going to learn and how much my students would teach me. So teaching really has been, you know, it's been my legacy. 
So you mentioned military career. Now, I may have missed this. Tell us a little bit about that. You know, I was very into ROTC when I was in high school. My dad was in the military. My sister, you know, come from a family where you find a way to serve. It's important. And so injuries and some other things happened where, you know, I wanted to be in the military. And I had a really unfortunate experience when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. And I was young and I overreacted and decided that I didn't want to be in ROTC anymore my senior year. Mm -hmm. And it changed the whole trajectory probably of my life. I was supposed to go to Texas A&M. I was supposed to be in the military and, you know, it just didn't work out. And there's a lot of situations like that where I felt like at the time that I had messed up or missed out on something good. And I really found as I've gone along that those things really just made room for things that were great for something else. And it's what you said, right? We plan and God laughs. It's important to understand that God has something better for you. There is something better for you. Right. So what would you tell a new leader who's discouraged about their working environment? (laughs) Change it. And I mean, that really would be my response. I mean, it's important for people to understand that you have the power to change your circumstance, to shape your reality, your your career, your life, your body, whatever it is that you're concerned about. I mean, if you are a new leader, uh, you may be starting out thinking that, you know, you don't have much power, you don't have much voice, but that's up to you to change. Mm -hmm. What's that saying? Our greatest fear is that we're powerful beyond measure. I mean, you know, step up and, you know, sort of take it. Mm -hmm. But remember that you're talking about the climate. If you're talking about the climate of an organization or, or a company, then you're not talking about the weather. So know that it'll take time. So start with your sphere of influence. Start with something you're really good at and really own it. Mm-hmm. And people will look at you and they will see and they'll ask you questions. And so you can start to sort of expand it. And so it's important if you're a leader, then you really do set the tone, even if you're a new leader. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I think that we can serve all serve ourselves very well at is having like sort of a customer service uh, focus in a building. So if you're in a school, a lot of times if you talk to administrators in a school and you ask them who their customers were, of course, they'll say they're students. And that seems like a really, really great answer. But as you go around to different stakeholders in the school, you'll hear, you know, maybe students or different people, but you won't oftentimes hear teachers. And so what happens in those circumstances is that we start to see that teachers are not taken care of. Teachers are not being rewarded and valued and understood. And so if you want to change the culture in that school, then begin by having a culture of customer service with your teachers and watch how and expect that they're going to pass that on to their students. So the end product, of course, is the student. But by creating this culture of customer service with each person, picking somebody or having somebody in the school that they are accountable to, then we can revolutionize and we can change the culture in any school and the culture in education as a whole. Hmm. And that's really key to value those people around you. And even if they're not what you would call very influential people. That's one of the reasons it's important to look at things from a systems perspective. When you look at things from a systems perspective, you understand the need for specialists. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. they may not seem very powerful in the overall scheme of things. But when you consider that a single cog or error in a machine has the power to derail the whole thing, then everyone is powerful. That's so really smart. Kenda, tell us, you know, many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. What does that mean to you? And what are you learning now? To me, lifelong learning basically means that you are 
consistently seeking out challenging opportunities, things that push you out of your comfort zone. That translates into diverse learning experiences. A lot of areas that I work in, their learning experience or professional development, everything that they do is really isolated to their certain area. And so that means that you don't understand what's going on in California, what's going on in Massachusetts, what's going on in different parts of the country. I think that lifelong learning basically means that you're not really content with whatever knowledge that you have. Whoever you are right now, whether you're in a position of leadership or or not, you don't really want to be in 10 years the same person that you are today. That means that you haven't grown. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm learning now is pretty much everything I can get my hands on. I, (laughs) I, I do read widely, like I said, in a lot of different industries, both to be prepared in case I come across somebody who needs help in coaching or whether they ended up working with me or not. If I can give them some sort of knowledge or something that sets them on the right path, then I see that as a win for everybody. I'm involved in an organization, New Memphis, and that's been a really, really great experience for me. And so I, we're learning a lot of different things. Like right now, I'm learning about the Jahari Index. And so really understanding how to impact the world with your ideas. And as well as I think they're grooming us to understand that we have a leadership role socially as well mm-hmm. as whatever we are doing in the professional world. Okay, so what is it that you're reading now that our listeners should read? I'm almost always going back over the seven habits of highly effective people. I think that it's really a great read. And it actually is something that when I read it at different stages in my life, I think I read it in high school. Well, seven habits of highly effective teens. And as I have grown, it's grown with me. And it's one of those things where you look back at it and you see new things. Uh, there's a book, The One Minute Manager, which I'm still kind of working through. And it's helping me adjust to the leadership role in the company, as well as like, you know, in education. Great. So, Kenda, what do you do on a daily basis to set your mind for the responsibilities you have? I use this daily planner that was actually used by Benjamin Franklin. Tell me. Well, it, it's sort of like a checklist. And, you know, so you go through and you write down you sort of a schedule for yourself. So you set a goal for the mm-hmm. day, something that you, you feel that you want to accomplish. And then you're, you're really strategic about planning through the process, how you get to that goal. But what I like about it is that the last thing on the left side, you really just ask you, like, what good you did that day. And so that even if I didn't finish everything that was on my list and I would normally kind of drive myself crazy trying to do that, it basically allows you to to take those small victories. And, you know, and the other thing is that it actually has parts where he basically had to remind himself to stop thinking and stop working and eat (laughs) and do these personal things and take a break from every now and then. And I just think that's really important for me. And also, I think it was strategic. There's a guy who talks about the MacGyver syndrome or MacGyver process, which I love that show when I was a kid. Um, It's coming back, by the way. I know. I'm so excited. And I really (laughs) hope that it does justice. But really, the process is about, you know, how he has these aha moments. Mm -hmm. And I forget, there's like a TEDx talk about where the creator of MacGyver is talking about that process of how MacGyver sort of solves these problems. And one of the things that he says is that we really should take time, not just for ourselves and for our own health and well-being, but instead of beating your head against the wall trying to figure out the solution to something, you really turn it over to your subconscious when you step away from it and you do something that's fun and more relaxed. And the thing is, is that our subconscious has the ability to process information much faster, which means that it has the ability to problem solve much faster, even than a computer. 
I need that system desperately. And the other thing is the planner you talked about. Mm -hmm. Is that an app? You know what? I wish it was. Strangely enough, this is where I'm not so much a millennial. I'm not big on technology for the sake of technology. <laughs> so I'm old school and I will often like write out or like, of you know, Of course, Benjamin Franklin wrote his stuff out. What was I thinking? Absolutely. And he was pretty productive. So I figured. <laughs> you know what? You're absolutely right. <laughs> so no, it's, 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 you know, it's a PDF file that I print out maybe like uh, every night and I sit there before I go to bed. And I, you know, I think about what I want to accomplish the next day. And at the end of that day, I'm not disheartened by what I didn't get done because they'd ask me that question, like, what good did I do for myself and my family or the world today? Mm -hmm. And I have an answer. Okay. Wonderful. On most days, I have an answer. Okay, great. <laughs> so we've come to our last question. I, I can't believe oh, it. I'm okay. having such a good time. If you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? I mean, what would you be, 10 <laughs> older than you think. No. <laughs> I don't know. These questions are always seem like they're about going back to warn yourself of, uh, you know, about what not to do and that sort of thing. I mean, I think I would give myself encouragement, but I don't necessarily think I would sort of warn myself away from things. Like I said, so much of my life really has been about discovery and making mistakes. And even those things where I feel like, okay, well, you know, that time I spent at Office Max probably wasn't the best use of time. <laughs> I actually learned these great experiences. It was actually uh, my first leadership role. I was a manager at the Print and Copy Center mm -hmm. <laughs> at Office Max in Houston. And I learned things during that experience that helped me today. I work a lot on desktop publishing. I found that a lot of people, you know, they can write curriculum, but it doesn't necessarily look nice and you right, know, right. that sort of thing. Or my website, which I hope looks nice. I designed it myself, mm -hmm. you know, and these are skills that I just picked up. And so I think a lot of people, they have what they look at as random experiences, random challenges, and maybe even failures. Mm -hmm. And for me, in my life, I found that all of those things, all of those experiences have actually taught me something that I needed to become the person I, I am today. Mm -hmm. So I think I would give my younger self encouragement um, that no matter what you're going through today, it could be your life for now, it could be your life forever. Mm -hmm. And that's all about what you want to do about it. Well said, Kenda. Now, if someone wanted to reach you, what would be the best way to reach you? So if you type in at Owls LLC on pretty much any social media, whether it's Facebook. And so that's how to find us all the time is Owls LLC. But um, we also have a home base, a website, which is Ask Owls LLC. Okay, so it's A-S-K-O-W-L-S-L-L-C.com. That's right. That's Perfect. right. Perfect. Right. Kenda, I want to thank you so much for adding value, not just to me, but to our listeners. Thank you so much for having me. It's always great to be able to share information and things that you've learned. Okay. Well, have a great day. You too. Thank Thanks, you. Lily. Hello, leaders. Don't forget to go to our website at masterleadership.org to get show notes for this episode and to find out how to get a free coaching session from one of our exceptional educational leadership coaches that are featured on this podcast. Until next time. Bye.